Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Second Samuel tonight, Second Samuel chapter 21. As you reach for your Bible, you know I'm going to remind you we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place fulfilled with a prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at the river believe in the five solas, the first being sola scriptura, which is the Bible alone. The second sola fide, which is faith alone. The third being sola Christus, which is Christ alone. Sola gracia is the fourth one, which means grace alone. And the fifth being sola deo, gloria. And I'm glad you're here tonight, for God will receive the glory for you attending here to the, the, the build your faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And tonight you're going to hear the word. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, the story continues. The story, the, the, the great trilogy, or however you want to say it. It's the story of David. But we see in chapter 21, now there was a famine in these days. Now we can see in chapter 21 that probably 21 is not chronologically right after 20. That when the prophet Gad or Nathan wrote chapter number 21 in 2 Samuel, that this is an event that took place in the, the reign of David. And to, tonight, I'm going to be honest with you, chapter 21, 1 through 15, when we just read this part of the text, it's one of those parts of the text where we feel uncomfortable. When we read it, it says, I don't know if I really like this. That, I've read this before, but I'm going to tell you that I've never really dug into it and studied it until recently. And now I can tell you I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lot at more peace about it because it seems like it fits in the rest of the Bible. There's a, there's a passage that we studied a couple of, almost a a year or so ago when we went through the book of Judges. We spoke about one of the judges coming home from battling the, on the borders of Israel and God gave him a wonderful victory and he told God, he spoke to God with a vow or a covenant and he said the first thing that steps over the threshold of my house, I will sacrifice to you O Lord. And out comes his beautiful virgin young daughter that he had to sacrifice unto the Lord. And as we studied that text, we saw that the theologians and, the, and we saw that the theologians and commentaries probably actually exclaimed that God did not tell him to sacrifice anybody for our Lord does not want human sacrifice and Jesus being the Lamb of God is the only exception that we see that his blood covers the blood of all the sins of people that are called by him. But we see in chapter 21 as we study this, first we'll read it then we're going to break it down together and I want to let you know that there is no conflicting text in the Bible. If there's, if there's something that, that conflicts with another part of the text of the Bible. It's not the Bible that's contradicting. It's us. It's our understanding. And tonight I hope that you walk away with an understanding of what's taking place in 21. It's very controversial. You might say I don't know about this. This is upsetting. But let's, let's look together in chapter 21. I hope you've already read it. But if you haven't tonight, we'll do it together. I'm going to read through it. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15 tonight. Now there was a famine in those days of the David for three years, year after year, and David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not 
not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. Verse 3, And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement that you may, be, may bless the heritage of the Lord? Verse for the Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, What do you say that I shall do for you? And they said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that, he may, that we shall have no place in all the territory of Israel. Verse 6, Let, his, let seven of his sons be given to us, so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibbeth of Saul the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. The king took the two sons of Ziphah and the daughter of Ai, who she bore to Saul, Amorah and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Amorah, the daughter of Saul, who she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Melianite. And she gave them into the hand of the Gibeonites. And they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord. And the seven of them perished together. And they were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Mizpah, the daughter of Ea, took sackcloth and spread it before, spread it herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell, until it uh, fell upon them from the heavens. And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beast of the field by night. When David was told that Mezvah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jezbeth, and who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan. There, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day of the Philistines killed Saul of Gibeah. And they brought him up from, the, from the, the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan. And they gathered the bones of those who were hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zelah in the tomb of Kish his father. And they did all the king commanded. And after that, God responded to the plea for the lamb. As we see in chapter 21, you might say, well, what in the world just went down there? For the Bible actually tells us in Deuteronomy 24, 16, God tells Moses this very fact. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Now you read that and you say, well, that don't make any sense. Even though the law, the civil law that Moses gave to the children of Israel tells us that children cannot be put to death for the sins of their fathers and the fathers cannot be put to death for the sins of their children. Well, why in the world would Saul's descendants be killed for something that Saul committed? 
Well, I'm so glad you asked tonight as we start to break this down. Let's look at verse number 1. Now, there was a famine in the days of the days of, no, of David for three years. For three years consecutively, we see in verse number 1, there were back to back to back three years, there was a drought. But we notice in verse number 1, David sought the face of the Lord. I know that this text is probably confusing, but before you go home, you'll have a better understanding. But when you come across something that's confusing, befuddling, puzzling, hoodwinking of you, something that just you can't wrap your head around. Do what David did. He sought the face of the Lord. He sought and inquired of God. David did not go and speculate himself. He did not invoke tariffs on the, 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 the city and say, well, we're going to restrict all the water. He didn't come in and seize ponds. He didn't overstretch the government. He sought the Lord. He didn't do what we do and go get out alone when we don't understand why that trouble hits. We don't, we don't go and try to use a chess piece and maneuver and try to use political means and pull strings and work this kind on a shady deal in the back room. David inquires of the Lord. That's what I'm asking you tonight. Do you inquire of the Lord? When he inquired of the Lord, it probably is much like you, Christian, as you enter into the house of the Lord, you pray to God. But also you can pray right there in your bedroom, in your car, going down the road, on the job. You can inquire of the Lord anytime. Like the Bible, the, the song says, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not be there when you need him, but he'll be there right on time. Whatever it is. And Inquire of the Lord. That's what David does. He sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, he spoke. Now, we can understand. I don't know how he spoke. He could have been through his prophets. He could have been through a vision or a dream. But David heard God speaking. Anyway, the Lord made him know, let him know that there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house. Because he put the Gibeonites to death. Something that Saul did. Now we, we can remember, like you heard me say earlier, that we talked about in the book of Judges as we're just remembering what went down in the book of Judges about a, a question before. But also we can also remember... In the book of Judges, whenever, uh, whenever uh, Joshua comes in and he conquers in the book of Joshua, he comes in and conquers the land. But the Gibeonites come to Joshua disguised as people who are far away. They come with moldy bread. And they said, when we left the house, this bread was fresh. They come with dry skins that had water and wine that they pretended to say after the long journey when we finally reached you that all our, dry, our, 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 our necessities... All our provisions have been done. We want to come and make a pact with you, a covenant with you. When we left our house, our garments were new. And they fixed it to look like their garments were worn down from the travel. However, they did not inquire of the Lord in that situation. They did not speak to God about the covenant they made with the Gibeonites. They made a promise to the Gibeonites. We will not destroy you. I don't, I, we know, we understand you're far away. And God has told us that we're going to conquer the land. Since you're so far away, we'll just make a covenant with you because you're too far away to make any trouble for us. However, the deceitfulness of the Gibeonites, they were able to secure a peace pact right there with the children of Israel. The problem lies in the leaders and the elders of Israel for not inquiring of the Lord in the situation. What I'm telling to you is do like David did and do what Joshua didn't do. Inquire of the Lord in the situation. Whatever it may be, inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. Should you make that business deal? Could you move there? Should you work with this person? Should you partner there? Should you take that promotion? Should you take that demotion? Whatever the Lord calls you to do, cry unto Him and He'll show you things you do not know. Jeremiah 33.3 3. 
So he inquires of him. And the Lord spoke to him. And now we know a little bit about the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them in verse number 2. He's been told by the Lord, either by the prophet or God Himself, tells the king. Now the king has a responsibility to handle and take care of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, it falls on his shoulders. He is to be a shepherd to the people. Now I want to let you know that something has happened that... Saul has gone in and slaughtered these people. Now we don't know exactly the text where it takes place, but we do know that Saul is known to go into a whole town and a whole city and slaughter people. Because remember, we talked about the town of Nod. Those were the priests of the of the Most High God. And he rides into town and kills all the priests, the children and the women. He slaughters them. And only a couple of priests get away and now are running with David if you remember back in the day, back in 1 Samuel. But now at this point we can see here that the Gibeonites who had a covenant with God and with the people of God that that, that Saul in his zeal kills the Gibeonites even though that, that they was done uh, a little shady even though it was done underhandedly they still had a covenant with the people of God and Saul goes in and kills these people so the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them now, the Gibeonites were not the people of Israel, but the remnants of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them. Uh, I want to let you know from verse number 2 that God keeps His promises and His covenants. You should do as well. You should keep your promises and your covenants. Don't renege. Don't back out. Don't change your mind. Change the, the status. Don't change the, 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 the agreement. At this point, it's not just that you break a promise. At this point, this people are dying now. And I'm going to show you a little, little more as we start to dig in here how far this goes and how treacherous it falls. We need to remember that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, you shall not bow down to them. For the Lord your God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. For those who hate me is what God tells Moses. Now you might say, well that conflicts with Deuteronomy 24, 16, that the father should not suffer the sins of the children and the children likewise of the father. But it almost says like that God is conflicting here that he, he, will, he will visit the iniquities of the fathers through the third and fourth generation. But I want to let you know there in Deuteronomy 5 that third and fourth generation of the, the sins of the father is, 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 is a mercy because later on he says, I will visit grace and mercy upon a thousand generations upon those who fear me. That God is not leaning towards a lightning bolt to strike down people who are sinners. He has a tendency and a, 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 a way of mercy and grace that He wants to bless and show grace to people. Amen. That He does not have a, a nasty disposition. He's not a God of thunder and lightning and brimstone that He just wants to strike everybody dead. Otherwise, we'd be dead. Amen. Amen. But I want to let you know here that there's been a, a, a covenant broken and God is not going to let it slide. You might say, well, did David know about this? Absolutely, David knew about this. And I'll show you why. Whenever we see in verse number 3, And David said to Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? Notice the wording of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are not Jews. They are not followers of the Old Testament. They are not what we would consider Christians. 
But we see that they were in agreement and a covenant to live among the people of God. They had a peace treaty with the people of God. And God keeps His covenant and God expects His people to keep their promises. And verse number 4, the Gibeonites said, It is not a matter of silver or gold. They're saying that this is not going to go away by just paying us reparations. You don't give me a mule and 50 acres, it's not going to go away. For the one who, who tried to destroy us, tried to consume us is what they say. And Saul or his house, neither it is for us to put any man to death in Israel. They said they don't want anybody to die. That, that, that more bloodshed is not going to just make this go away. And he said, what do you say I shall do for you? I want to let you know that David knew about this when he went into the position of being a king there in Israel. For we can look, uh, if you're able, it's almost heartbreaking as I discovered this. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, if you want to turn there you can, or you can just pay attention, jot this down. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, 6 through 8, this is where it went down. This is where the incident took place. For Saul was making a promise to his tribe, Benjamin. If you remember, we've studied this before. It's almost reminiscing, reminiscing as we walk down memory lane to remember that Saul is speaking to his kinfolk, his people. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, 6-8, Saul said to his servants in verse 7, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will, you make, make, will, will he make you all commanders of the thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 22, 6-8 that Saul is promising to his people, his kinfolk, you follow me, I'll give you land. I'll give you an inheritance. I'll give you something. Now, I want you to use your logic and your mind and think here. Where did he get the land that he gave to his people to support him? He goes and slaughters the Gibeonites. He snatches up from them, killing them, even though they had a peace covenant with the people of God. And here is God's anointed king, Saul, riding into town, who is not above killing people just to get property to secure his throne. That's what took place here. That's why the Gibeonites were slaughtered for their property and their land. And who took who took the land that 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 Saul promised them it was Saul's people it was his kinfolk it was his children they were grown they were men who would have, these were not children that were crucified to settle the blood uh, oh now it's hitting a little different i understand now you see for in the story of 2 Samuel 21, there are no innocent people here. Who's guilty? Even David's guilty because he knew when he took the throne what went down. And now God has held back blessings on Israel. Famine three years in a row. Well, we knew what it was like just to be a little dry here recently and it's still not where it should be. And we're not even an agricultural nation. This is an agricultural nation where they depend on the crops from hand to mouth. And now for three years, David inquires of the Lord. Maybe he overlooked it. Maybe, maybe he, he never thought about it. Maybe he just thought, well, that's something my predecessor dealt with. Well, I'm going to let you know now that we're buying the farm because of the sins of our fathers. 
Whether Did you know our national debt are trillions of dollars? Six or seven trillion dollars? Let's just put it on credit and float it a couple of years. My great-grandchildren will probably still be paying off the debts from Vietnam. Because we keep visiting the sins. We won't deal with the butts and start, stop here. We keep passing it along. That's why the sins of the fathers are passed down to the children. Saul, he, he sinned against God. But I want to let you know his children, they lived on the bloodland. They knew where it came from. They did not live there with a clean conscience. They bore the guilt and God saw it and He was holding back His blessings there on Israel for three years. There was no rain. So now we understand the background a little better. Because when you read this, you almost say, well, they took babies and children and teenagers and killed them just to settle the guilt in the blood for something Saul did. And I know Saul was wicked, but why has his children got to die? Now you understand. Let God be magnified and everybody assault be seen as a liar. Let God be glorified. Let Him be exalted. He's the right one in the situation. As I read this without studying it, you know who I related to? I related to the guys who are getting killed for something they didn't even do. That if it comes to find out, they were just as guilty as Saul. They killed the Gibeonites. I want you to see when he says, what shall I do? In verse number 5, they said to the king, the man who has consumed us and planned to destroy us. In verse 5, Saul was going to exterminate these people to get their property and their land. How wicked. And we see that God's just a light judgment on Israel because His mercy endures. You know that, right? The Bible tells us in Lamentations chapter 3 that we are not consumed because His mercy endures forever. That He should destroy us. And I want to let you know that, that when, well, like, I want you to think about in your family that there might be a wicked man that is just ingrained in your family. Something wicked that he has done and has passed on from generation to generation. And you've dealt with it. And you're still dealing with it. But I pray today that you deal with it and not pass it on to your next generation and your heritage that it stops today. And if they have tendencies to fall for the same snares that your fathers did, begin to pray and pronounce over it and cry out to God and say that the blood that's for the guilty is found in Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings restitution. And this, do you see how, I don't know if you noticed that there's a thing called critical race theory that's running rampant through men denominations. The SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, they're, they're going crazy about that. And what that is, if you're not understanding what that is, is where, where white people should wear white guilt for the things that white people have done through the, through the ages. Now you know, I, I didn't never own any slaves. I don't have any slaves now. And if they call it white privilege, I'm not racist. I, some of my best friends are black. But uh, I want to let you know that if, if white privilege is what they call it, well, I'm losing on easy because the, I ain't got a privilege. I'm working just like everybody else. And there shouldn't be no white guilt. And, and, and black people, white people all come together under the shadow of Jesus Christ. Even Galatians tells us that there is no Gentile, there's no Jew, that are all brought together into the body of Christ. So if you hear from a pulpit people calling people the white devil or calling black people a lower intelligence and separating people by skin color with skin deep theology, that's how shallow it is. It's skin deep. It's just Racism that's described, that disguised to hide more hate. The gospel obliterates all that. 
That the blood has been shed. That I'm not holding anybody accountable for what took place with my great-great-grandfather. I'm not holding any Chinese people uh, 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 against them for the, the wall of China or what the Mongolians did. I'm not even mad at anybody who's from Japan about Pearl Harbor. A two-year-old Japanese child should not be held accountable for what took place almost a hundred years ago. Amen. Somebody. Amen. I'm just letting you know there's no racism found in the kingdom of God. Did you know that Jesus was a marginalized Jew? He was a, he was a carpenter. He had calloused hands, a blue-collared worker. He had a hooked nose and curly hair. He didn't have blonde hair and, a, and it was long like a shampoo model. He wasn't white. He didn't have an English accent. He was Jewish by descent. So you'll be surprised when you get to heaven and Jesus ain't white. You'll be surprised. Somebody will be surprised when they get to heaven and find out Jesus won't black. Thanks be to God that His blood was red and it washed away all my sins. That's all I care about. Thank you, Jesus. You might say, well, preacher, why are you even talking about this? You, you'll be surprised that some people still harbor racism in our day and time. That somebody still are angry with somebody over skin color, something that took place a long time ago. I'll let you know this. There are mean white people, mean black people, mean brown people, mean Canadians, Puerto Ricans, Chinese, you name it. Because we're depraved by nature. We're wicked by our nature. And we need a Savior. That's why he says here. That's why he says, well, what can I do for you? What can I do? I want to let you know that the wrath of God is on His people. The only people, and, and the only way that we find grace and mercy, because we look here that one of the sons of Saul was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth should have been killed because the very land that Ziba owns was actually the Gibeonites' land. Do you understand that Mephibosheth, even though he's crippled, you might say, well, he didn't do much, but he lived on the land, he knew. He didn't offer any reparations to anybody, he didn't try to forgive or anything. It should have been Mephibosheth killed here, but David had a covenant with who? You remember, Jonathan. He made a promise to Jonathan that I'll bless your descendants from here on. From here on. Don't worry. Jonathan, as close as you are to me as a friend who look out for me, I'm going to take care of you and your family for the rest of their days. So he brings Mephibosheth to the table and he remembers his promise. Church, I wanted to hit hard with you. That it should be God's wrath on you. Well, I ain't shed innocent blood. Or I, I haven't done this or that. You sin before a holy God. That's, that's enough. That He should consume you in His wrath. But it just so happens that you have a covenant with His Son. You hear me? You have a promise from His Son that He will continue to bless you all your days. In spite of you. Mephibosheth, welcome to the table tonight. It should be you that God crushed, but He has shown grace towards you. I tell you, when you hear that, the stars in the night sky shine a little brighter. Amen. The, the, the breeze is a little sweeter. Amen. That, that chicken pastry is a little better on the tongue. My pillow is a little softer. My home is a lot more cozy to know that I am owed nothing but the wrath of God on my life. But I have a covenant with His Son. I have a promise from Him that He will spare me and He will keep me in spite of me. Amen. Amen. It hits a little different, don't it? When you wrap your head around it, about his, about his grace. We can read that 
And well, Jesus was actually speaking to the generation there in verse, verse 33 of Matthew 23. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you escaping being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes whom you kill and crucify. And some you flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barak, whom you murder between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus was talking in Matthew 23, telling the ones that were there that that the the greatest prophet to ever exist, the greatest speaker, preacher, the greatest physician was there in their presence. And their hearts were just as hard as their forefathers. Their forefathers killed all the, the prophets that were sent by God calling to the repentance. And He said that the blood guilt goes on and on to them and they bear it on their heads. I want to let you know that there in that, in that generation, that in, in 70 A.D., that God sent the Roman legion into Israel and crushed the city, killing those who would not accept Jesus Christ. But in doing so, He leveled the tabernacle. He leveled the synagogue to let us know that Jesus is our synagogue. He is the one we go and cry to and pray to. I know when you go to Israel, you'll find there in Jerusalem the Wailing Wall. And they tried to tell you that that's part of the old temple, but it's not. It's part of an old Roman legion wall that they would have there as a regiment. So they would go there as ascetic Jews and bow and pray consistently putting their prayers into the wall, praying that God would restore Israel. I want to let you know that God has restored His kingdom through Christ the King. When He came He preached that the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's here. When it's at hand, that means you can reach it. That means you can touch it. You can feel it. Jesus is the kingdom. So we trust in Him and not a physical place like the Temple Mount. We're not waiting for our third temple to be built. Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is where we go rest. Jesus is our identity. He's our hope like we learned last Sunday night. He's where we go to the hope that's placed for us there and a safe keeping. So uh, you can take whatever you want from me here. My hope is found in Jesus. Amen. Oh Well, how did you get on that? I don't know. <laughs> I want to let you know that when David saw and he, he brought those there to be crucified, I want you to look at the timeline of how long it took for God to answer the prayer whenever the blood was shed. Uh, looking at verse number 9, He gave the seven minus Mephibosheth in verse 9, He gave him to the hands of the Gibeonites and they hanged him on the mountain before the Lord. Sounds familiar. We know of another one who was hung on a mountain before the Lord. The blood was shed. To bear the the guilt of the land. Oh, if that ain't a foreshadowing of Jesus. Every time we read our Bible, don't you see how it jumps out at us? The story, the redemptive story of Jesus. We see it over and over. It's almost like we're practicing before we get to the Gospels and we finally see it clearly. And they hung them on the mountain before the Lord. And the seven of them perished together. I want to let you know that those seven were not innocent. They knew that the land they were living on were the Gibeonites and thought it's possible that they were there to swing the sword with Saul to kill the Gibeonites to take the land for themselves. I want to let you know that there's nobody in hell saying, God tricked me. Or God didn't, He wouldn't accept my forgiveness. He wouldn't forgive me. He, he, I, I'm sorry for what I did. No, they're there because they want to be. 
Uh, people go to hell because they don't want God. They want their sins. They want wickedness. I, one thing you can ask my children, even though they're 9 and 12, they, they know because I say it all the time, people always do what they want to do. Did you know that people will always do what they want? To? Well, preacher, don't you say that God is sovereign over everything? That means He, he controls everything? But I also let you know that we are free moral agents. You can, you can do whatever you want. But God is still above it all. How does that work? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. You just read your Bible and trust Jesus is all I'm telling you. That's right. But you always do what you want. If you want to go to church, you'll go. Amen. If you want to eat McDonald's tonight, as bad as it is, you go ahead. That's what you want to do. People always do what they want in the moment. Whenever you sin, you want to sin more than be holy. In the moment. That's why you'll stand before God and give an account because you're a free moral agent. Yes. See how that works? Not really. I know. I want to let you know that it's like a Swiss watch. I ain't got a fancy watch. Brother Tracy might have one. But I don't have a fancy watch. Amen, <laughs> brother. I don't have a fancy watch. But in those fancy watches, they have gears. And they press against each other. It's almost like they're counter each other, but in the precision of the, of the pressing together, it makes the time perfect every time. You can look at your watch and know exactly what time it is. In the fact that God is sovereign, He's over everything, and man has free moral agency, they click together, and I don't know how. But the Bible explains that man is accountable to God, but God is above everything. So you wrap your head around that. And if it causes you to not have peace, search your Bible until He gives you peace. And remind yourself that He is in control. Amen. That's good to me. I, that's comforting to me that He's in control. Even above man's wicked decisions. Because everybody does what they want. If you want, you climb a tower and shoot people from the tower. You can go on a mass shooting spree and hurt people. But God is above everything. He allowed it to happen. Uh, now, uh, we're getting deep now, preacher. I, I, I see that. But let's continue here. Because Saul wanted to kill the Gibeonites. He wanted to sin. He wanted their land. He wanted to secure the throne. But in the end, God gets the glory. In the end. In the end. Somebody might have sinned against you. Somebody hurt you deeply. Did some wicked things. But in the end, Romans 8, 28, all things. What, some things? All things. Couple of things. All things work towards good for those who love God are called according to His will. I want to let you know that it's for your good and for His glory. Yes. Amen. Maybe you don't see the glory and the good immediately. Maybe you'll see it in 10, 15 years. Maybe you'll never see it on this side of glory. Job just actually got to see what he went through was for his good and for God's glory. Maybe you don't never get to see it until you reach the eternity where you're standing before God and He lets you know it was for His glory and for your good. But all that, you have to trust Him. Now, we continue here. that We see the list of the names of those who were perishing together. And then we see in verse 9, they were before the Lord, the seven perished together, and put to death in the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the harvest, the barley harvest. Verse number 9 tells us that it begins at the barley harvest, and I want to let you know that three months later, it wasn't until three months later that God sends the rain. Well, we know that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. But can you imagine three months after the sacrifice has been made, Raza was there as her children were crucified and killed. The story tells us that the mother was there. 
Now, we don't know much about her until this moment takes place. She could have been just a regular mom. Nothing special about it. She might not even have been affectionate toward her children. But it took adversity. It took something that was a tragedy to have her excel above everybody else. For we read here in the story that she beat off the wild animals as her sons lay there dying or dead and decaying for three months. Now, I want to remind you that David, David can relate to losing a child. He's lost a couple in the story. He's lost his, he lost his son. He lost two sons. Absalom being the most recent here. And it struck a chord in the heart of David. To see a mother beating off the, child, the, the wickedness or the, the, the consuming of the nature on the bodies of her children. And what he does is he honors her. I want to let you know, if it don't challenge you, it won't change you. If that person, they rub you the wrong way, they get on your nerves and you can't really put up with them, God put them there to change you. Because what good is it to live a silky, easy life? You must have your faith tested. You must go through afflictions to be hammered into the image of Christ. You must be brought to your knees to pray more. Otherwise, people like me will not. And they get full of themselves and their accomplishments and believe they got to where they are because of their own merit, their own grit. They must be brought humble because the gate of heaven is, is wide, but it's also low. That you have to crawl in on your hands and knees, humbly believing that it's only by grace alone. For a Christian, if you are constantly being blessed, and you had the world's riches at the, the reach of your hand, you had no troubles and no hardships, you would simply fall to sleep in your pew if you came to your pew at all. I want to remind you that Job was on the ash heap, taking a part shard and scrubbing the, the pus pockets on his body as they exploded and oozed down. And the dogs would come around and try to lick him and try to bring him relief. And he would weep and cry because he was tormented. He lost everything. But he was closer to God. And in Job chapter 9, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. He was closer to God there in the ash heap than Solomon was on his throne in all his glory. Solomon was arrayed uh, like one of the fields with the lilies that grew there naturally. He, he, was, he was king of uh, Israel in the golden age. He had, he had wealth, prosperity, he had it all. And, the, and the, in the end, as we read in Ecclesiastes, he went wayward. He, he lost himself because the women that he was entangled with poured his heart away from God. So Job was more than a conqueror on the ash heap than Solomon was on his throne. So God will send adversity your way for your good. The testing will be for your good. The heartbreak will be for your good. The breaking will be for your good. The broke, no money in your pocket, will be for your good. The deserts, deserting will be for your good. The depression will be for your good. The downturn of the economy will be for your good. And for His glory ultimately. So the woman here beats off the, the animals as they come in verse number 11. And David was told that Reza, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jezebel. 
And he stole them from the public square of Bezer. And there the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines killed Saul. I want you to see that David honored Saul. He honored Jonathan. At this point, he had not done this. And it took the, 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 the loyalty that was found in one of Saul's concubines to move the heart of David. For David related to her. I want to let you know, anything you've been through, we can stay here all night and list the things we've been through as a collective body and those who are listening by podcast. The, the things that we faced, the hard side of the mountain, that song I'm going up on the tough side of the mountain. It's, it's a rough side of the mountain. The mountain's cragged, it's rigid. And sometimes when you climb, it scars you and cuts you as you're going up on the rough side of the mountain. But I want to let you know if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. In your scars, and in your breaking, and in your experience, it lets you have sympathy for somebody else that you can relate to. That's why He commands us to come together as a body of believers. To say, hey, 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 you have little ones. I had little ones. I remember how tough it was. But I also remember how faithful God was through it all. Oh, you lost your loved one? I remember how deep in love I was. It was the love of my life. And now I'm living out the rest of my years alone. But yet again, I am not alone. God is faithful. He keeps me even in my loneliness. Oh, you, you, you're broken? Your heart is broken? I remember when my heart was so broken that I could not piece it back together. But in His grace, He has tethered me. And He put me together piece by piece, almost like one of these stained glass windows, taking the shatteredness and making a masterpiece out of it. Oh, oh you, you, you ain't got no money. I remember when I was broke. Uh, you, 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 you're afflicted in your body. I remember when I was afflicted in my, my body and he, he comforted me. We use our experiences with one another. And we comfort one another on this journey. That's what David does here with his Saul's concubine, Raza. He remembers the loss of his own children. And he was not obligated. And in fact, this changed David. More sympathetic. That's why the Psalms are so beautiful because of this instance where he, he saw his own son rise up against him and he had to face the hard, hardship of losing his son but also almost losing the crown and almost the favor of God. It was his experiences that we have in the book of Psalms that will encourage me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's the experience that you face that will comfort somebody else within the Bible-believing community, letting them know that God is faithful through it all. 1 Titus chapter 2 one through three, first of all, I urge you that with supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving made for all people, for the king and who are all in high position that they may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly, dignified in every way. That here we're called to pray for our leaders and our kings our governors and our presidents and our magistrates, those who have positions above us, that they will lead a peaceful and quiet life, dignified in every way. That David certainly could use the prayers in his situation where he is, but that also applies to us 2,000, 3,000 years later, that we are to continue to pray. Now I know, I know I talk to a lot of Christians and say, I pray for President Trump. You said it. You said it years ago. I pray for so many people hate him. They despise him. But I want to ask 
Like we've talked about this whole month, you pray for your enemies. And you might say this administration is your enemy. Rest assured, it could be worse. But I'm asking, do you continue to pray for the president that's in position now? He can't even ride a bicycle. Amen. I mean, you, are you praying for Are you praying? I know he's in pitiful shape. Are you praying for him? As hard as you prayed for Trump. Are you crying out to God on his behalf? Are you praying for his vice president as much as she makes your skin crawl? Are you praying for her? Are you asking God to intervene and lead her and help her? Are you praying? No amens, but it's guilt guilt to me too. Maybe you're praying that God removes them. But I'm asking you to pray for them like it's commanded in the text. 1 Titus tells us to pray for those who are in leadership over us. David needed prayer. God changed the heart of David in this instance. God can change our leaders now. In fact, Roe versus Wade has just been overturned. Don't tell me that God won't change it. Amen. Forty years that stood as a monument of killing children. Did you know there were certain hospitals, not around here, but they would actually use the the fetus matter to burn in the furnace to power the hospital. That's how wicked it is. And you might say, well, that's the blood guilt on the nation. That we're going to face the blood guilt of what our forefathers have done to the last 50 years. A whole generation wiped out for convenience. We, we don't want them to be born because it will complicate our lives. Somebody's got to die. Innocent, some innocent person's got to die so I can keep on living the way I want to live. I want to remind you that God don't change. But people can. And God can change them. Continue to pray. Continue to pray. Continue to lift up those in leadership around our nation. Continue to pray for the leadership here at the river. Pray for those around you. Pray for the people on the job. Pray for your families. That God will take the blood guilt of those who are worthy of His wrath and place the wrath on Jesus and they walk in grace and mercy and forgiveness just like we do. We shouldn't want to see somebody burn. I can't wait that God gets you. We should weep over them and have a, a mercy and a spirit, of mer- a spirit of grace and mercy. God pleading for them. God intercede, save, heal, redeem, and restore. For you are God and you're able. Yes. Let us bow our heads. Father.